Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. I'm Andrew Walter. I lead the student team that impacts college age down through seventh graders or junior hires. I get to be around people who are trying to get young people to come to, come to know Christ and follow Him well. Uh, it's an honor to be a part of Rockbrook Church. It's at Rockbrook that young people help accomplish the weekend services that we do. Young people greeting, working in the nursery, teaching the children, making coffee. They're on stage, they're running all kinds of tech. Young people serving throughout the week. Uh, we call the teams of people that do the stuff around here the dream teams. And there are young people on the dream teams surrounded by adults that are cheering them on. So if you're on a dream team, I want to thank you for being part of our student ministry. You didn't know it, but you are. Uh, what a great place to grow up in. Uh, don't, can you imagine if you had a place like this when you were a young person, when you were a teenager? Oh. So today, we're looking at the big theme from Proverbs, laziness and wisdom of hard work. I have a project at our house that I have been putting off for a few weeks. Uh, when we moved into our house several years ago, the kitchen had an expensive sink. And my first thought was, oh no. Well, a few weeks ago, the combination of a cold winter's day, a stone sink beneath a drafty window, and pouring boiling water down the drain from making mac and cheese, the sudden temperature change made the stone sink crack. So for a few weeks, I've had a new replacement sink that has been sitting in our garage. <laughs> there are two sides to the sink, and only one side is cracked. So when people come over, there is a moment of tension when they try to wash their hands and the kids start yelling, don't use the left side. <laughs> that project has been weighing on me as I've been working on this message about laziness. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit convicted. Uh, that may be my Sunday afternoon project or evening <laughs> or late night. Teenagers are often accused of being lazy. Now, I love humor. I love to laugh. Teenagers don't always understand how mean and painful they are uh, with their humor, especially when it's directed at you. They think that because you're an adult, you don't have feelings. Uh, since sarcasm is the lowest hanging fruit on the humor tree, they grab it and they grab it often. So when you're around teenagers, you just need to know that your feelings will be hurt. Solomon wrote about wisdom. His writings are in the Bible. He wrote quite a bit about laziness and hard work. Solomon gives us a lot of statements comparing the result of a lazy life against a hardworking life. So uh, what, what does that look like? And why does it work out the way that it does? Uh, why does God care about my laziness? Uh, I was reminded of a church trip that I took a bunch of teenagers to camp one summer. And one of the Johnson boys started complaining when it was time to clean up. 
uh, sweeping, taking out the trash, wiping down tables, stacking chairs. All he wanted to do was sit on the couch in the corner. He's over there on the couch, and I told him, hey, uh, can you take out the trash? And he got up, took out the trash, and then came back and sat down on the couch. I said, hey, can you empty out the other trash can? And he got up, went and grabbed the other trash can, emptied it, came back, and sat down on the couch. And I said, hey, can you make sure that window's locked? And he got up, went and made sure the window is locked, came back to the couch, and he got almost all the way down. I said, and I gave him another little job. Well, the other teenagers noticed what was happening here. So we let him go back to the couch over and over. That, we had that boy working so hard. <laughs> now, honestly, now I think I should have just let him sit down. But in the moment, it was so funny. <laughs> the, when you picture a lazy teenager, you picture them laying on a couch like a sloth. Now, a sloth is the poster animal of laziness. A sloth lives in trees, basically stays there all week. A sloth will go down once a week to relieve itself. Sloths move so slow that in an hour, it will only move a few feet. So if you put a sloth in a 100-meter dash, it will finish in June. <laughs> they are sluggish and inactive. They sleep 15 to 20 hours a day rising late in the afternoon to eat leaves that are within its reach. They move so slowly that algae forms in their hair. They're so passive that they are virtually untrainable. Shake. How would you know? The sloth is an inaccurate picture, though, of what laziness is. I mean, a lot of people think, I'm not lazy, I'm busy all the time. So I think this is an inaccurate stereotype. Just in the same way of when you think of an alcoholic, not all alcoholics are completely sloshed and out of it all the time. Not all lazy people spend their entire day on the couch, drinking Capri Suns, watching the latest Marvel series. So I want to shatter the image of the sloth as being lazy. Now, you may have come thinking, well, you kind of get a week off, because this has been a tough series, talking about work, about friendships, temper, fear of God. So you may have thought, well, I am productive. I work hard. I've got a lot going on. I manage my time. You're not going to get me on this one. And my response to that is, whoa, pipe down, Dave Ramsey. <laughs> because someone is productive does not mean that they are not lazy. Just because you're busy doesn't mean that you're not lazy. Just because you're organized and your spice racks are all alphabetized, your pencils are all sharpened on a clean desk, your garage looks like a showroom, doesn't mean that you can't be lazy. You can be so busy organizing everything that you avoid the work that needs to be done. When I look inside, especially with the definition that I'm going to give you today, when I look inside and I think about Andrew Walter, I know I have a tendency towards laziness. If we're really going to be honest, many of us are not slothfully lazy. We're selectively lazy. Isn't it amazing how when there's something really tough that needs to be done, isn't it amazing how other things just have to get done? You know, I don't want to face that over there. Then all of a sudden, I, I got to clean. 
All right. I, I've got to answer emails. I've got to change the water in the fish tank. I've got to write a romance novel. I've got to trim my nose hair. I've got to groom my horse. As long as I don't have to do that. I know you may not be slothfully lazy, but we are all definitely selectively lazy. And it might sound like this. I don't have enough time to finish this right now, so there's no point in getting it started. It's too nice of a day to spend time on this. I'll hit the snooze button now and I'll read my Bible later in the day. I'll sleep another 20 minutes and wear cologne instead of taking a shower. If I wait long enough, someone else will most likely do it. Mow the lawn? That's why we have children. I was at the pharmacy this week, and the pharmacist returned my license to me and said, do you have a license that's not expired? And I said, expired? Happy birthday. So I tried to look up what happens if you're caught driving with an expired license, and I saw $500 fine. I tell you, that brings some focus. That brings some urgency. So I went and I renewed my license. Sometimes the threat of pain moves you to accomplish what needs to be done. But sometimes you think pain would just be a good distraction from what you don't want to do. Sitting in school, I don't want to do this. I wish God would just send a tornado, just blow all this away. That would liven things up. There'd be a lot to do. What if there was a fire? No, not a big fire, just a lot of smoke. That would be entertaining. My 10th grade chemistry teacher, Mr. Hicks, didn't find that small fire as amusing as I did. <laughs> I wasn't lazy like a sloth. Oh, I was busy. I just wasn't doing the right thing. Laziness is when comfort wins over effort and I fail to do the right thing. And that ends in pain. But too often we get comfortable with pain. Because not just children are lazy. Parents and adults get lazy and willingly choose pain instead of the hard work of doing the right thing. You know, I can think of three or four couples over the last few years who have traded in what was a very happy situation for something that satisfied their need for misery. Sought all sorts of ways to complicate their lives, chasing some kind of fantasy over a hill, and they were rewarded with the pleasures of sorrow and guilt and shame and loss, which I guess they are enjoying. There are times when comfort, though, may actually be the right thing. Rest and leisure and the Sabbath are God's designs for the universe, for us as well. And I'm not saying that we need to work more. As a matter of fact, some people need to work less so that they have the capacity to do the right thing. Everybody is busy. Uh, teenagers are very busy. Uh, they stay up late. They get up early. They are involved in more extracurricular activities than ever before. Uh, sometimes I think if Jesus came to them and said, follow me, I think there are some teenagers in our ministry that would say, wow, Jesus, it is so good to see you. I'm just going to have to check my schedule. I am pretty busy during the week. Can we connect on Sundays? Just because you're busy doesn't mean that you're not lazy. 
there's one thing I want you to walk away with today, it is that definition. When comfort wins over effort and I fail to do the right thing. Laziness keeps us from getting close to spiritual transformation. God has much bigger plans for your life than comfort. Pain and discipline can help move us in the right direction. Mr. Hicks, my chemistry teacher, was a Christian, and he used the pain of consequences to help me move closer to doing the right thing. Laziness wounds marriages. It destroys families. We find ourselves relationally in deep trouble when we choose comfort over effort. A spouse comes home from work. The other spouse has been home taking care of sick kids all day. The spouse that was at home taking care of sick kids just wants some adult conversation. But the one who just came home from work chooses the easy route, the comfort route, and says, I just need to relax, and they shut down communication. And in shutting down communication, bitterness arises. You're a single adult here, and you've got an incredible time and talent and resources to impact the kingdom of God. But your laziness shows up because you're waiting for something better to come along. Solomon compares laziness with hard work. God isn't calling you to be a workaholic. God commands us to rest. And some of you are confusing comfort with rest. The young person says, uh, if God didn't want me to be lazy, then he wouldn't have made me this way. The answer to that is, laziness is a result of sin, not how God created you. This is talking about all aspects of life, not just your job or school. This is talking about work with your family, your parents, with your friends around the house, in your relationships with people, in your relationship with God. These are all places where you put in some work. Now, there will always be exceptions to these things. You will always be able to say, well, I know a guy who never studies and he always gets good grades. Or he never has to work hard. His parents just give him money. There will always be some exceptions. But I would say that in the long run, their laziness is going to catch up with them. Uh, you can always make sin look good momentarily. People who skate through high school get slammed when they're in college. People who are lazy around the house with their parents, they go out on their own, they fall flat on their face because they don't know how to do the hard work. So today, as we talk about these things, I know you might be thinking of some exceptions, but no, these are the general rules, and that even those exceptions don't work out in the long run. So let's look at some quick statements from Solomon that compare the result of laziness and hard work in life. Proverbs 13.4, a sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The hard worker is, will be satisfied with life. Now, this is not saying that he's going to have everything he wants in life, but he will be satisfied with what his hard work has brought him. Proverbs 10, verse 4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. This is not just talking about financial wealth, but wealth in life. If you put hard work into a relationship, it will be a healthy relationship. If you put hard work into your schoolwork, you will have wealth in education. If you put hard work into a career, you will have wealth in your career. And the opposite of those things are also true. Proverbs 12, verse 24. Diligent hands will rule, 
But laziness ends in forced labor. The lazy will constantly be in situations where others are over them and controlling them. Laziness results in forced labor. The hard work results in leadership. Proverbs 10 verse 5. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. This has to do with how you appear to others. Laziness leads to people looking at you negatively, but hard work leads to people looking at you positively. This is true when you're finding a job and getting hired. This is true when investing in relationships, when being asked to be part of anything. Solomon has laid out some results that come from being lazy and some results that come from hard work. So why does life work like this? Solomon made a couple of observations. Proverbs 24, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. He looks at the life of the lazy person. His fields are in disarray. There are weeds, thorns everywhere. The stone walls fallen down. And when you think about it, the man who has the field in this state may be able to survive. He may be able to get enough crops to survive. He can feed his family. He can sell some. So he may look around and think, it's really, it's really not that bad. You know, I'm doing okay. My family's eating. Remember, sin can seem okay for a short time. It can seem like it's working out. Solomon looks at this, and he comes to the conclusion that this man's laziness has put him in a dangerous position. Laziness has led this man to be unprepared when things go wrong. Solomon says, poverty will come on you like a bandit. And scarcity like an armed man. How do a bandit and an, arm, and an armed man attack? They attack unexpectedly. You don't see it coming. This laziness has put this man in a position where one small thing going wrong will put the whole world upside down. If he doesn't get rain one season, he's ruined. If someone comes to steal from him, his wall's down so he has no protection. He's ruined. If inflation hits and cost of living goes up, he's ruined. Laziness leaves us unprepared for the future. I mean, we may be able to get by being lazy in the moment. We may be able to look at our lives and say, well, I'm okay being lazy. However, we are setting ourselves up for failure in the future. Not only does laziness leave us unprepared when things go wrong, but it also leaves us unprepared when opportunities arise. If the field next to that man becomes available to buy, he won't have the funds to buy it and expand on what he has. If a new person comes and says, hey, I want to buy some of your crops, he doesn't have the resources to, to sell to that man. What bothers me about my laziness is when I miss out on opportunities, opportunities that God has for me to minister or to bless others, and I miss it because I was lazy. For instance, maybe I was lazy with my money. And an opportunity to give to a family in need arises, and I can't give. Or maybe because I was lazy with my personal time with God. 
My heart is not in a good place to be able to see or listen to the person who is right in front of me that is hurting. Because I was lazy taking care, uh, with taking care of the stuff around my house. I don't have time to go out and serve my neighbor when they have issues that arise. Because I was lazy with my work responsibilities, I get stressed. And I don't even notice the pain that my family has gone through that day. The biggest danger of laziness is this. You can survive being lazy. But you can miss God's hope for your life. God wants us to have a thriving life. Jesus said he has come that we may have life and have it to the full. He wants us to have a life that fulfills his purposes for us. So then how can we be hard workers? How can we have a thriving life? Well, first let me ask this. What are some things you like being compared to? Some people you like being compared to? You know, good-looking people, talented people. You like being compared to an athlete or a musician. Yeah, I don't know about you, but if someone described me as a little ant, not sure how I would take that compliment. But Solomon looks at the ant, and he says, well, here's your action step. You should be more like an ant. You need to think like, feel like, act like an ant. Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers food at harvest. The ant doesn't have to constantly have someone over his shoulder telling him what to do. He gets done what needs to be done. He doesn't complain about or think, oh, I don't really want to do that right now. He's aware of what needs to be done and does it. The ant works hard now and he enjoys blessings later. And hard work can seem unnecessary and annoying at, at the time, but it will pay off in the long run. Ultimately, God wants you to do hard work and not be lazy because you are his. He has a plan for you that is going to require work. And we're designed uh, with a plan to do big things. Think about the messages and commitments that we have made so far this year. Fasting and praying, breaking free from financial, sexual, addictive strongholds, uh, wisdom about our jobs, our tempers, our friendships. How are these things going in your life? This is tough. It's tough. I have worked with students for over 20 years. And our world's culture has changed over the last 20 years. For all of time across human culture in history, society at large, adults saw kids as being their most precious asset. And what has taken place over a lot of centuries, that has begun to erode and shift from the point of life was to pass on the legacy of caring for young as they grow up, to now the point of life is to make sure that I make my mark. Which has led to this hyper-individual way of living. Now, none of us want to go there and say, I just want to focus on myself. I want to leave my mark. We recognize the need to be in community and coming together. But when people who study these things look at our world's culture, we live in a culture of fear. Our culture is scared of life. 
Uh, They are scared of death. They are scared of marriage. They are scared to have children. They are scared of taking risks. They are scared of failure. They are scared of pain. Everything in our world's culture tries to rob us of being a good steward of the time, the treasure, the talents that God has given us. But God is rooting for you. God believes in you. He wants to partner with you. He doesn't want you to stay the same. He wants a deeper relationship with you. He wants you to have better relationships with other people. That's God's business. He's all about changing lives. And this church is rooting for you too. Cheering on the younger generation, I believe you can change. I believe you can be a more loving spouse, that you can be a better friend, that you can be a great parent. In the office, in home, at school, I believe that you can do the right things. That you can wake up and say, what a great time to be alive in this day and age. God has designed you to do something. You can do something no matter how old or how young you are. So I don't know why people hurt so much. The best thing that we can do for those that are hurting is to do something so well, it's almost perfect. You know, whether you make a perfect meal or you mow the lawn perfectly, crisp, straight rows, work on the borders, edge it so it's just perfect. Or work on a song that you've played a hundred times, adding to it, making it new. Someone in pain might hear it. And that fine work would move them closer, deeper to knowing God is real. People who are in pain often see things more clearly than we do. They see all these messages that people leave in the fine work that they do. The way this man ran these wires. He didn't have to work so hard at it. Make it so perfect. The way the coffee creamers are placed in their little bins. Look at how they're all stacked all organized, all face up. These are messages of tenderness people see who are in pain. Now, I'm not sure about putting in the new sink. I think perfection is a little bit out of the question, but we'll solve it somehow. The Bible said that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. The difference is that Jesus didn't sin. Jesus was tempted to be lazy. Satan tempts Jesus with comfort. He says, you can have it all if you bow down. I am so happy that Jesus chose the right thing over comfort. I'm so thankful that when uh, Jesus approached Jerusalem on the week before he was about to be crucified, the crowds were cheering him on. They're laying palm branches on the ground, welcoming Jesus as a hero. And he knew What pain faced him. Jesus knew the pain that he was going to endure on the cross. Jesus knew the tension and the trouble that he was going to be in. He did not choose comfort over effort. Those faces that Jesus is looking at, the shouts of joy from people, will soon turn to shouts of rage. Crucify him. After Jesus' death, he comes back to life. And many of those same people 
end up believing. I am so thankful that his choices made it possible for us to be forgiven for our past. We have a plan for our present, a place in eternity. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? In student ministry, we have been doing led prayers, uh, praying together, been leading them in prayer. And it is beautiful when this room is filled with young people all praying. So I'm going to ask you to pray like we've been praying in student ministry. So you're just going to talk to God. I want you to tell God that, say, I want to change. Tell God, I want to be better. You know, there are areas of our life where we just are flat out lazy. We have chosen comfort over effort. We're not doing the right thing. Ask God for help. Tell him, God, I need your help. Ask God for strength that is greater than your own. Ask God for courage that is deeper than your own. Ask God for wisdom that is wiser than your own. And thank God for the time and the talents and the treasures that he has given us. Thank God for loving you. God loves us even when we fail. God looks at you and he says, I'm so proud of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.